going to look forward to singing that song together in weeks to come. If you have your Bible with you, I uh, hope uh, you do, uh, and you can open up to the book of Daniel. That's where we'll be this morning. Uh, last week, we began a series that will take us through this summer, Daniel 1 through 6. We'll put it on pause while we finish up the book of John in the fall, and then get back into Daniel, looking at the last half of the book of Daniel in the weeks leading up to Christmas this year. So that's the plan, really, for the rest of the year. Daniel, last week we just looked at the first seven verses of the book. And it gave us the setting of the book, which is really helpful for us to understand the context. And the situation we saw, many of you were here last week, but a number of you were not as well. And so, some quick review. The situation at the time of Daniel is that in Daniel 1, 1-2, we saw the year is 605 B.C., The northern kingdom, God's people had split into two kingdoms, and the northern kingdom had already fallen over a hundred years before this. All that remained was the smaller southern kingdom of Judah and its capital, Jerusalem. The world power at that time had recently grown to be this mighty empire of Babylon, and their young king, Nebuchadnezzar, was a powerful leader. He was seizing territory and a great military leader, also a significant spiritual leader, what he would do when he came to a place. And this is what happened when he came to Jerusalem. He took stuff out of their temple that they used to worship the the one true God, and he would take that stuff and he would put it in the temple of his gods that they might be used to worship his God, to show others that his God was superior to any other God. And the, the other part of the situation is this. That not only was he a good, or, or, or an influential at least, uh, not a good one, uh, but he was good at it, being a military and spiritual leader, he was also a cultural leader. And so one of his, his tactics or his strategies was, he was going to pick the privileged. He didn't want everybody from Jerusalem to come and live in Babylon, but what he did is he picked the best and the brightest. He picked the privileged ones, those that came from right social standing, those that were young and handsome and smart. You can read about it in the first seven verses. And among those were Daniel and three of his friends. These men were seemingly young and handsome, probably between the ages of 14 to 17. And the strategy was he would take them in, picking the privileged, he would then program them with propaganda and provision. He gave them all the best food to eat, all of the best drink, and he would then give them, kind of just feed them this propaganda. They were to become learned in the literature and language of the Chaldeans. He wanted to re-educate or reprogram them, take away everything they had learned in the land of Judah and teach them something totally different, that they would be his loyal servants, uh, helping him to expand the Babylonian empire even further, right? So this is the strategy. Even part of this strategy was he gave them new names because they all had awesome names, names that reminded them of the one true God and things that were true, but he gave them different names that meant other things that they might even forget whose they were. So this was the strategy. This is the situation that we saw laid out in verses 1 to 7. But the tension that we recognized in all of this is that, that many years prior to this, God had made a promise. 
He made a promise to one man named Abraham that from that man would come a great nation, a nation that would be a blessing to all the other nations as they lived in this land. The problem is, half of them have already been done away with, their land has been taken, and now the other land is under siege as well. And they don't seem to be much of in a, in a spot to be an influence and a blessing on other nations when their whole nation seems to be crumbling. They were supposed to be doing the will of God, but many of their kings were evil and led them in a different direction. And so, the tension is, how is God going to work out His plan? Is, is all of it really hinging on four boys in the midst of going through puberty in, in a land called Babylon? Is this really what it's come down to? What's God's plan for the future? So that's what we saw, and that's where we left off last week, Daniel 1. 1 through 7. Today, though, we're going to look at the rest of chapter 1, verses 8 to 21. We're going to see how God working through these young men, captives in Babylon, teenagers, privileged people now being programmed through propaganda and provision by the king, how will they live their life in Babylon, and how is this going to be a part of God's plan for His people for years to come. And as we said last week, because God's Word is living and active, even though this book is like 2,600 years old, God continues to work. And I think we're going to find so much of this so applicable. We're going to find applications today for parents. We're going to find applications for kids. We're going to find applications for people in the workplace. All sorts of application that we can take right out of God's Word for us in our day today. And here's the big idea. We need to be resolved to live a holy life where God has placed you, trusting God to provide. We're going to see Daniel and his friends do that in this passage today. We're going to see that they are resolved to live a holy life right where God has placed them trusting that God will provide. And I hope that we will walk away wanting to be the same kind of people. If you're able to, go ahead and stand where we'll read God's Word, Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You've given us Your Word again. Thank You that Your Spirit dwells in all of us who believe. Thank You that Your Spirit does the work of convicting of sin. Thank you for your word that's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And God, we need all of that. We need to be taught this morning. We need to be rebuked in some areas of our life. We need correction, and we need to be trained in righteousness. So would you, for your glory and for our good and the good of many others, accomplish that now by the work of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word says this, Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams at the end of the time. When the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Amen. You can be seated. I love this book, and it's been such a joy. Thanks for letting me be your pastor. I can't believe I get paid uh, uh, to just be living life with you, trying to be obedient, to be a follower of Jesus, to study His Word, to teach His Word, uh, to be with you in hard and, and good and, and tough times. And so... Thanks for that privilege. Uh, I hope we learned something from God's Word together this morning. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 is the first point today. And that point is this. Daniel was resolved. Daniel resolved, it tells us right there in verse 8. It says, but Daniel. Remember, all, all of what I had just set up before. Everything set before them. Three-year re-education program has begun. They can eat the king's buffet any and every day. They get the best of the best for the best of the best, right? But Daniel, but Daniel, he did something different. It says, but Daniel resolved. Resolved means to set your mind. Okay, so Daniel had his mind made up. Not a lot of people that are 14 to 17 have resolve yet. But Daniel, as a young man, as a teenager, has resolve. He has made up his mind. And what has he made up his mind about? Well, in this case, he resolved, he had made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, we don't know because the text doesn't tell us exactly why. And a lot of people have different ideas of why Daniel thought that eating the king's buffet and drinking the king's wine would be a defilement in some way. Maybe the food was unclean. Maybe it was food that had been sacrificed to idols. We don't know for sure because the text doesn't tell us. But Daniel knew for sure that it would not be right for him to eat the king's food and to drink the king's wine. And so Daniel, knowing what is right and what is wrong says, I'm not going to, I'm resolving, I'm setting my mind on this. I will not defile myself with the king's food and what, with what the king drinks. And then, the rest of the verse tells us this, Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So, see, everybody else in this 
three-year re-education program, they're going to be eating the best of the best kind of food, drinking the best of the best kind of drink. But here's this teenage boy. Everyone else is doing it. They have permission to do it. Mom and dad are not there, and yet he refuses to defile himself. And notice how he even goes about it. Look at the maturity here. Because some people that have their minds made up, they can have about them like some self-righteous smugness. And they can be kind of mean. They have their minds made up. and they can. But listen to the way Daniel does it. Daniel has his mind made up, but he recognizes that he has people in authority over him. And so, with respect, he asks the chief of the eunuchs, that's the one overseeing this whole three-year re-education program, he asks him to allow him not to defile himself. He's got his mind made up, but he's going about it in a tactful, respectful way. I think we can learn a lot from Daniel. And so before we even go on to see uh, a bit more about the rest of these verses, I think we need to pause for some application. Like I said, there's going to be some application in here for both kids and parents. Like I said, resolve means to set your mind, to say, my mind is already made up. Parents, don't we want our kids to be kids of resolve? Don't we want to raise these kinds of kids? The kinds of kids that when they're put in a situation and we're not right there with them, that we can, we can trust that, that when everyone else is watching and everyone else is doing whatever, whatever it is that everyone else does, that our kids would be the kind of kids that have their minds so made up that they're not tempted to always do what everybody else does. Don't we want to raise kids like that? You know, when I was younger, the, the kind of main thrust, the, the, the main thing that was really emphasized, I went through uh, the D.A.R.E. program, I think, when I was in fifth grade, just like they do here. It, it was kind of going against drugs and alcohol because those two things are often uh, a, a way that, that even very young people can get kind of drawn in. And so, so I'm grateful for some training I got that I would have my mind. The whole idea behind the D.A.R.E. program is you get your mind made up so you already know. Like we practiced, you know, do the broken record. Like no, 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 no. Like, you know, whatever, whatever you need to do, make sure your mind is made up ahead of time that I'm not going to, when tempted with this, I'm not going to turn against this. And I think that's still a temptation for kids today. I know that it is. But I think there are many other temptations put right before us. I talked about last week the fact that most of our kids will not be taken captive in Babylon. But they don't need to be taken captive and put through a three-year re-education program in a foreign land in order to be influenced by the world. All we have to do is buy them a phone or a tablet and give them internet access. Right? And welcome to Babylon. Right? And so parents, if you've made that decision, that your child is, is old and mature enough to handle uh, those kinds of devices, then, then you very well better be preparing them uh, as much as is possible to, to, be, to be making decisions that when temptation comes, their mind is already made up. We've had some pretty frank and open conversations about some things. You're like, really? You've talked about that with your kids? Yes, we have. 
have some helpful resources in walking through some things with our own kids because we want them to have a mind that is made up beforehand. Right? Not a mind that's made up after exposure and some experimentation have already taken place with whatever it might be, but a mind that is made up beforehand. And, and kids need their parents' help in this. We're not being helpful if we're not being helpful. We need to be very intentional about being helpful to our kids in this way. And so if you want some, some more specific uh, recommendations or anything like that, let me know and I would be happy to share those with you. But kids, I'd ask you this. And I'm talking like kids that are in high school and kids that are in middle school. I'm talking kids that are in like third grade too. Do you have your mind made up so that when everybody else is doing whatever everybody else does, that you're the kind of person that knows that it's okay not to be like everybody else? Because that's hard to do, isn't it? The easiest thing to do is to just be like everybody else. But one of the things that we can learn from Daniel is that even though all the other people his age were doing these certain things, he knew that it was wrong for him to do that. And so that you as kids can have your mind made up now, even if everybody else watches this, talks this way, listens to this, looks at this, I'm not going to do that. Have your mind made up ahead of time. That's one thing I think we can learn from Daniel. I think there's also application here for those of you who work. Those of you who have a job where you work outside of the home, you have somebody else maybe who's an employer to you. We need men and women of resolve in the workplace. Because it is easy. It's not, like, it's not just that, oh, kids deal with temptation and then I've gotten past that. Maybe you're not tempted with some of the same stuff that kids are tempted with. But we need men and women of resolve in the workplace. Because oftentimes, we know what it takes to climb the ladder. And oftentimes, what it takes to climb the ladder are compromises here and there in little ways. We know that it might require talking like they talk, drinking what they drink, doing what they're doing, sacrificing family like others sacrifice their family, and kind of schmoozing our way up the ladder. We need men and women of resolve in the workplace. Men and women who have their minds made up. Here's what I value. Even if what everybody else, even if this looks really tempting, uh, you know, I'm not going to fall for whatever the rest of the world falls for. Here's what I value above all those things. And so I resolve not to defile myself. Are you willing to cut corners at work? Maybe, you know, maybe you're expected to do something. Maybe you've been put in this situation. I don't doubt it. You've been put in a situation where you're expected to do something that's maybe a little bit shady. Maybe, maybe illegal, maybe not, but a little bit shady. This happens all the time in the work world, doesn't it? Put in that position. And it's really hard if you've got a boss that's been really good to you. Don't you think it would have been hard for Daniel? They're being really good to him. (laughs) Here's what you can have. You can have the best of the best. Put right before him. Yet this young man has the resolve to stand and say, No, if I know it's wrong, that's not where I'm going been willing to cut corners at work, involved in something maybe a little bit shady, let's be men and women of resolve even in the workplace. 
See how there's a lot of application here? I could go on. I'm just picking a couple points of application. But let's look at verses 9 through 17. This is the bulk of the passage. We're not going to go through it in nearly as much detail, but I do want to point out a key phrase that shows up in verse 9 and in verse 17. It's a phrase that we saw show up in verse 2 as well. It's an important phrase, and that is the phrase, God gave. Notice it here in verse 9. It says, and God gave. So Daniel was a man who had resolve. He resolved not to defile himself, but then God, it says, gave him something. What does God give? In this case, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And so the chief of the eunuchs, again, the person overseeing this whole three-year re-education program, God gives Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of that man. And so Daniel had asked this question, is it okay if I don't defile myself by eating and drinking these things? And, and, and the chief of the eunuchs doesn't immediately say no. David has been given by God enough favor and compassion with this man that he doesn't immediately reject his request and say no way, but he does point out the fact that he's a little bit fearful, right? The chief of the eunuchs is just very honest with Daniel. Listen, it's my job to kind of get you ready for seeing the king, and he's told me this is the menu, and this is the stuff that makes you healthy, and you're wanting to say no to all this rich, good food, and you just want to eat veggies and drink water? You're going you're gonna to end up not looking very good, and that's going to be on me, because it's my job to make you look good. And so he's worried about himself. And Daniel, because he is resolved, because he's made up his mind, doesn't say, okay, all right, bring on the buffet. No, what he does is he then goes to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over them. So, so he immediately, the first person he went to is the chief over the whole program, right? And now he's going over to the one that's just in charge of he and he, his friends, a smaller group. Like, I'm going to ask this guy instead, okay? So he goes to him, and he lays out a plan even. Test your servants, he tells them. Okay? Now, I get it if you don't want to commit to this for the next three years, but let's at least do a test. Run a test on us. Give us ten days. Ten days, they eat the king's buffet, and for those ten days, we eat veggies and drink water. And then let's see. Let's see who looks better at the end of it. Just take a look. Do a test. Right? Daniel already has a lot of wisdom. We're seeing it on display here. And God's given him favor and given him compassion. And so... This boss listens to him. So, so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And guess what? God provides. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were, <laughs> these guys, vegetarians, right? Just eating vegetables and drinking water. They were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Okay? So that was something that wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense. So the steward took away their food and the wine and they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Okay, test worked. You got what you asked for. You don't have to defile yourself by doing this. But isn't that kind of a crazy thing? I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You can have the king's buffet, which has all the best and richest foods, or you can eat just vegetables. Who's going to look better and who's going to get fatter in the end? Well, I would think the people that eat the king's buffet. That reminded me as I was doing this that uh, when we lived in Yankton, 
uh, our favorite restaurant was called King's Buffet. Uh, this Mongolian grill place, all you can eat Chinese food, and it was great. Uh, and I imagine, like, if I could have King's Buffet every day, I would certainly be fatter in appearance uh, than all of my peers. But who's fatter? Who got fatter? Who looked better? Not the people eating King's Buffet, but it was Daniel and his friends who ate vegetables and drank water. See, God provided. doesn't totally make sense, you know, uh, if you kind of ran through the nutrition facts and that kind of stuff. This is just God providing. And then verse 17 lets us know again of how God provided. We're kind of fast-forwarding here now. So, so this is what's happening for these three years. Remember, they're being, being, being taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans, shoved full of this propaganda, given this great food, but they resist that food and they eat vegetables and drink water instead. And what is the result? Again, we see this key phrase, God gave. Verse 17, As for these four youths, God gave them, And what did God give? He gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. These young men who resolved not to defile themselves, these young men who decided, I'm going to live differently than all of my peers... These young men who did not take advantage of the temporary pleasures of the world that were put right before them. These young men going through an intensive three-year re-education program, propaganda shoved down their throats at high school age. And what does God give them? Learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Now hold on a second, where did they get that from? What kind of literature were they reading? The literature and language of the Chaldeans. They were reading kind of this, this, this pagan history, pagan philosophy. They were going to public school, right? They went to public school and listen, look what God gave them. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Because God had a plan for how he was going to use them. In order for them to be used by God in God's plan, this is the kind of education that they were given, all part of God's plan. God gave them this. Yes, it was shoved down their throats by the chief of the eunuchs in his program under King Nebuchadnezzar, but ultimately it's God who gives wisdom. Right? And he also gives Daniel an extra gift. God gives good gifts to his people, and he gave Daniel understanding in all visions and dreams. We're going to see that come into play here in chapter 2 pretty soon. But Daniel is given this extra gift by God, not just being learned and skillful in all literature and wisdom, but Daniel is also given by God understanding in all visions and dreams. Points of application before we look at the final four verses. And that is this. It's easy to have the attitude in this world that we live in. And it would have been so easy for Daniel and his friends as teenage boys to have this attitude that the world offers a lot and the way that I'm going to be satisfied in life is I'm going to take what the world gives me. 
That's what the world would teach us anyway. That if, I, if we take what it is that the world offers, that will bring us satisfaction in this life. And you know, I've often talked to people, and I've wondered right along with many of you. We've, we've talked about this. I've talked about this with many of you. That as you go through something in life, you say, how do people without Christ get through this life? And I usually kind of shrug my, I don't, I don't totally get it. But I was thinking about that more this week. And here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know what? It's probably easier than we think. Because the world seems to offer so much that just kind of keeps you holding on for a little bit longer. The world offers so much in the way of temporary satisfaction, doesn't it? I mean, I mean think about that for a moment. Think about money. I think most people know that money won't satisfy you forever. But I think most people also know that money can be used to make life more comfortable and more fun now. And so people that can find a way to get money feel like if I just get a little bit more, it's going to be a little bit better. You can spend a lot of time in your life. You can spend a lot of years chasing after that. Still believing the lie that money is going to bring you the satisfaction that you, you desire, that will last. You run out, you can go get some more, right? Just credit. A lot of people think that when it comes to knowledge. That some people believe that, man, if I just kind of accumulate lots of worldly knowledge... That's going, to, that's going to give me the satisfaction in life that I desire. That's going to bring me joy. And it can. You can keep learning stuff. You can, you can get another degree, so like do it formally, and you can just ask Siri and Google and Alexa stuff. They know lots of stuff. And so, so like we can always learn more. So accumulating knowledge brings us temporary satisfaction. And you can continue to go after more and more and continually be satisfied for a little bit longer and a little bit longer till you learn a little bit more. Or maybe it's entertainment. Man, the possibilities are endless, aren't they? Entertainment brings us satisfaction to some degree, but it only lasts for a while. But here's the thing. When your series is over, there's another series you could watch. And when that series is over, you can go back to the second season of the series you watched the first time. Right? We can be endlessly entertained. There's always another game on. There, there's out, right? So we can, we can find things that will satisfy us temporarily over and over and over again. The world offers a lot that looks satisfying and really is satisfying for a period of time. And when that time runs up, just go get something else. That's what the world says. And some of you have spent your life seeking the temporary satisfactions offered you by the world. Maybe you're sick of it. Maybe you're not. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're sick of one, but you know there's another thing. Now I'm just going to go do this. Now I'm going to go do this. Endlessly seeking for satisfaction and joy and life and meaning in things that can only supply you with that for a short period of time. Let me tell you some good news. The good news is that what God gives is better and more eternal than anything that the world gives. See, God gives us that which is satisfying eternally. That which will give us joy forever. And you ask, well, what, it, what is that? And probably a better question is, who is that? 
See, God gives us the Son. What we need more than anything else is is Jesus. Sinful, broken people that lived in Babylon in 600 B.C. and sinful, broken people chasing worldly pleasures living in Iowa Falls area in 2019. We all need a Savior. And this is what God has given. That we who have broken relationship with God who are under even the wrath of God because of our sin, we are given a way, a means, by which we can be made right with God, reconciled to Him. How is that? It's because God has given us something. We can trust God to provide. He provides us with what we really need. Here's what it says in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare His own Son, but what? Gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? It's not that we find no satisfaction in anything earthly anymore. It's just that because God has given us His Son and we are eternally and completely and fully satisfied in Him, knowing that we will be for all of eternity, He'll give us other stuff too, fine. We'll take what He gives us. But ultimately, the greatest gift that He's given us is His own Son. Do you know Jesus? I can't offer you as, as good, like, whatever we do here, you're going to find somebody. Somebody can speak better than I can speak. Somebody can do music better than we can do music, right? Somebody can do relationships better. But here's the thing. Nobody can give you joy and satisfaction like Jesus can. And so the best thing that we can do as a church is just hold out to you. You need Jesus just to put that before you. The only way for you to be made right with God and to live forever with Him is to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus. Daniel wouldn't have known the person of Jesus, but he trusted the promises of God enough to know that he was setting his mind. I'm not going to defile myself. I don't need what the rest of the world needs because I have what I need. The God who made me is the God who will provide for me, and that is the good news for us today. The God who made us is the God who provided for us that which we most need, and that is salvation through his son Jesus. If you have not accepted what God has offered to us as as a free gift, I urge you to accept that today. To repent of your sin, to confess that before him and to say, I've been chasing other stuff. And it's not just like not not good enough. It's offensive to God that when he has given us something at very great cost to himself, he's given us his own son, that we would reject that gift and try to, to seek life and joy and satisfaction in so many others. We need to repent today and put our faith in Jesus. I'd love to talk with you more about that as well. But then, let's look at these final four verses. Final four verses talk about a position of influence. Because here we are in the midst of this three-year re-education program. Daniel and his friends have been given by God favor and compassion, learning, skill, and understanding. It's God who gives, but what is the effect? So what? What's the effect? Why has God given all of these good gifts to these young men? How is this a part of God's big plan? Now, we're moving ahead to the end of this re-education period because it says this in verse 18. At the end of the time. Okay? So all of this has been done. 
And the king says, bring him in. Right? Lots of men. We don't know how many. Lots of young men have been, be, been prepared for three years for this day where they would come and stand before the king and it was draft day. He was going to pick the best and the brightest and say, you're on my team. You're going to help me build my empire. My kingdom is, is coming and we're going to make this happen and you're going to help me out. And so, who's going to be on the king's team? God's hand is guiding every decision. Uh, it says in Proverbs somewhere, remember like something about uh, uh, a king makes decisions, but it's God who, who guides the king's hands. I shouldn't quote scripture that I don't know. It's really good though. There's something there. Anybody know that? Help me out. Google it really quick. We'll do it later. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, it says, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. None. These guys were at the top of their class. They were noticed by the king, and so they got the job. They stood before the king. God had given them gifts and given them these particular gifts that they might be noticed and they might be put in this position of influence. Standing before the king. And even once they were on the job, because there was other people that had other jobs, listen to this, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. What a gift God had given these young men. What kind of plan does God have? A young man raised in Jerusalem, taken captive as a teenager, put through a three-year re-education program under a king of a powerful empire, but gifted by God in such a way that he's put in a position of influence under pagan kings in a pagan land. Because here's what it says in verse 21. Last verse of chapter 1. It's it's pushing ahead like 70 years now. Saying this, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. (laughs) During Daniel's lifetime, kings would rise and fall. Empires would come and go. But Daniel remains in this position of great influence over a period of about 70 years. Now we're going to rewind and go back and look at some particular instances of that starting in chapter 2 in the coming weeks. But I love that this is included there. So we just get to see very clearly how God has put this man and his friends in positions of influence for years to come. We can learn a lot from Daniel, can't we? We can learn a lot. This young man, grounded, a man of resolve, a man gifted by God, and a man given by God a position of great influence, all a part of God's plan, not just for his people, but for Babylon too. Remember when they were put there, the prophet Jeremiah had told them, When you go there, you're going to be there 70 years. There was a false prophet. He was like one of those prosperity gospel preachers. His name was, I can't remember. Um, But you read about him in Jeremiah 29. I think Hananiah maybe. He he was this, uh, is that it? I can't remember. Hezekiah, something. Uh, There's this false prophet who tells him, hey, two years and you're getting out. But God gives Jeremiah the news. Hey, you don't have to tell him the truth. It's going to be 70 years. And so here's what I want you to do. Most of you are going to die in Babylon. 
what I care about the next generation so much. I want you to, to live there. I want you to plant a garden. I want you to build a house. I want you to get married. Right? You're going to live there because I have a plan for how I'm going to use you in Babylon and in bringing a remnant back to the land. Right? All of that's in, in Jeremiah chapter 29. But God has a plan for Daniel. And I wonder, I can't help but wonder as I read this and we think about application. Think about this for a second. Has God given you a position of influence? God gave Daniel a position of influence. Has God given you, listen, has God given you a position of influence? It's very possible that for some of you, God has given you gifts and God has plans to use some of you in a position of great influence over many people. Maybe you. We might have sitting with us today somebody who's one day going to be placed into a position of great influence. You might be the next senator. You might be the next Supreme Court justice. You know who else has a position of great influence? Those who act and write and make music. They have great influence on our culture. God might be raising up some of you with gifts in these areas to have great influence over many people. It's possible. It's more likely that God has given gifts and has plans to use many of us in positions of great influence over a few people. It's probably you. Some of you have been called by God to serve as teachers. You got the summer off, but this is your life in many ways. Called by God to be a teacher. You're thinking about that even now. Some of you called by God to be teachers within the church. Some of you called by God to be elders, serve as deaconesses, serve as a mentor to somebody. God has given each of His people gifts that they might be used to have an influence on others. God has given many of us gifts to have a great influence over a few people. Probably none greater than the influence that a mom and a dad can have. Is that a position of influence? You talk about a position of influence. Has God given you the role as mom, dad, as grandma, grandpa, as uncle, aunt? Has God given you that opportunity? Nobody's going to be more influential in the life of those kids than you. And so would we be people that, like Daniel, love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, Love our neighbor as ourself. Uh, be people who are people of resolve, saying even if the rest of the world goes this way, not me. I'm not going to be like the rest of the world because I don't need satisfaction in what the rest of the world finds satisfaction in. I'm satisfied in Christ and in Christ alone. If I come to the end of this life and I'm out of money, not much of a place to live or anything, that's fine because I can sing hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. I'm going to be with him forever. That's what I really need. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the book of Daniel. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all of the application to our lives. God, I pray that if there are those who are here this morning who have spent their lives up to this point seeking temporary satisfaction in this world, who have made compromises, who have cut corners, that they would acknowledge, repent of their sin, put their faith in Jesus. 
God, I thank you for your power that you can take we who are running a hell-bound race and you can give us new life in Christ. And God, for all of us who are in Christ, we want to be people of resolve like Daniel, but it's really hard. We live in a world, world filled with temptation. We have our own sinful nature still to wrestle with. But as we're going to sing now a prayer, now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. But, Father, would you use our ransomed lives in any way you choose so that our song will forever be our only boast is you. You are our hope. Thank you for giving us your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.